You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 141 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I'm in full school holiday mode, and I'm currently speaking to you in my pyjamas. In your pyjamas? I know. There's a visual for you, isn't it? <laughs> awesome. I'd like, to, I'd like to pretend I put on a suit for our podcast every week, but that would be a lie, and you know I don't do that, so I'm in my pyjamas. All right, fair enough. Well, I'm not quite in my pajamas, but I'm in my very comfy maxi dress. That, maxi you know, dress. Well, you know the kind like I figured it's summer. You kind of wear resort wear kind of stuff around the place just to feel like I you're on holidays. I, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine you in a maxi dress. I, I always imagine you in a suit every time we speak. <laughs> yeah, right. As if I do a, lot, a nice little jacket, just like you are in your in most of your photos. You know how you wear that nice little jacket. <laughs> I just have you in the nice little jacket every time we talk. Yeah, nah. <laughs> Good if you saw what I look like right now. Anyway, <laughs> what have you been doing apart from hanging out in your pajamas? Oh, no, that's about it, really. <laughs> that's a pretty much the sum total of my week. Summer's great, though, isn't it? Mm. It's just great. I have been to the I beach as well. Oh, well done. Mm. well done. I did drag myself out for that. Do you? And I walk the dog every day. I do get out. I do get out of my pajamas occasionally to walk the dog. Awesome. Although I have this pair of this pair of pants that I love. They're you know super comfortable, and every time I come out in them, my youngest son goes, "Oh, you've got your pajamas on again, (laughs) Mum." Are they like those poo catcher pants? Oh no, I don't. I I can't do that drop crotch thing. I just think that's yeah, no, they're not like that. But they're like a soft. Okay. A soft pant, shall we say, are as they, they say in Vogue. Are they T-shirt a soft material? Pant. Are they what? T-shirt material. Yeah, and an elasticized oh, yeah. waist. Love. I got them. So they, they them. might as well be pajamas, really. I know, I've anyway. got them. Mm. Um, I was saying before, do you boogie board? I do, yes. Do you? I do. Oh. Yeah. Well, both my boys have them, so we go out to the beach and, and then, you know, I'll have a crack. Oh, they well think done. it's highly amusing when I do that. A bit. Well, there you go. All hmm. right. Why, do you boogie board? I'm, it's new pastime. Oh. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, so are you taking it up seriously? Is this going to be like your, you know, cage fighting moment? Mm, well, no. Uh, mm. I'm not taking it up seriously, but I'm taking it seriously to be taught by a, I think, world champion boogie boarder. What? You're being taught? <laughs> yeah, well, you got to learn you just somehow. just go out there and have a crack at it? Is that what, what you if do? you don't know what you're doing? Well, I don't think there's too much to it, Val. You just kind of hang on and get on the wave, don't you? But you got to learn how do. to get on the wave. Oh, see, well, you just, I, that's just all part of, isn't that just what you do? Like, 
nippers and things like that. Didn't you do all that as a kid? I didn't Learn go how to, to catch nippers. A... I didn't go to nippers. Oh. I can swim and stuff. But you just don't do <laughs> waves. Well, I can play in the waves, but I'm not very good at catching them. Mm. I'm not good at it either, but it never occurred to me to get a world champion boogie boarding. Got to do things right. Al. <laughs> my 13-year-old's giving me pointers, you know, as we go. He, go. he can't believe how bad I am at it for someone who's been doing it as long as I have, but still, yeah. Anyway. Oh, you may as well okay. learn from the best. All right. Well, you, you let me know if you've got any pointers for me next week. I will. I'll be- Interested. Okay. I good. will. All, All right. right. We want to give a shout out to Richard, who um, says uh, he's new to writing. Oh. Uh, and he has said, great work. Oh, this is on as, as a review on iTunes for this podcast. Mm. And Richard has said, great work, Val and Al, just loving the podcast. After 36 years with a telecommunications company, have wow. now embarked on writing my first novel. Yay! And, Go, Richard! Yay! And find your weekly info sessions a great way to stay immersed in the place I want to be. Oh, that makes me so happy. So I'm clearly he's also keen on boogie boarding because that's where we're immersed right now. But, yeah. <laughs> anyway, go Richard. Yes, go Richard. Thank you so much for taking the time to leaving for leaving us a review on yeah. iTunes. Really appreciate it. And if you have 30 seconds to do that, we'd um, be very grateful because it certainly helps us in the rankings on iTunes. Thank you, Richard, and to everyone else who has left us a review. So let's move on to the world of writing and publishing this week, shall we? Now, since this is still the start of the new year, we're getting ourselves in order. I know that a lot of people have, you know, this is when they set their goals and stuff like that. And while I think it's important to set your goals, very, very important and important to write them down, especially your writing goals, sometimes life can get busy as the months wear on into 2017. So I thought what would be useful to chat about, and this is actually a post from Business Insider, but still very relevant for writing, for for any aspect of life, because it's called 20 Time-Saving Hacks That Mm. Will Free Up Hours in Your Weekly Schedule. And I thought Mm. this was particularly relevant because so many people say, oh, if only I had the time to write, if only I had the time, I would actually finish my novel. Well, sometimes, yes, you do have to make the time, you have to find the time, but sometimes you can do that by saving time on other things. Are you actually doing things that are taking way too long, yeah? Yeah. And I think that that's um, really, really useful. So I don't know if you've got some particular time-saving hacks, but some of the things that um, I like here is that often we – I love the two-minute rule. And that is if it's going to take less than two minutes, do it now or it won't get done Mm. or or you'll just – let it take 10 minutes, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And this is one that I never thought of, but I – kind of do subconsciously there is the the four song rule do you know I like that one four song rule <laughs> I like the four song rule <laughs> so the four song rule is where you only have four songs to do your morning routine so in song one, you might brush your teeth and floss. In song two, you have your shower. In your song mm-hmm. three, you get dressed. In your song four, you accessorize like, you know, just get organized and put your um, perfume on and deodorant and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that this I subconsciously do this because um, I went for decades without a GHD hair straightener. Have okay. You got, have you got one? No. 
Okay, have you seen my hair? <laughs> have you ever seen it straight? <laughs> no. Ever? No. I do not have one. Okay, so this is not sponsored in any way. But my friend said, oh, you've got to get one. I said, oh, yeah, I don't know, blah, blah. But her hair did look nice. And she said that her nanny told her that um, the, the thing that convinced her to buy the GHD was that her nanny told her, because her, her, her nanny's hair is nice as well, um, her nanny told her that in the time that it takes for sunrise, the breakfast show, to do the weather, mm-hmm. which is very short, it's like two minutes, she's done her hair. And I said, that can't be true. And she and, and my friend said, it's true. So she bought a GHD and she does it in two minutes and that was the thing that convinced me to buy a GHD. And I and does do it work? Hair. In two minutes, yes. I don't watch the weather on sunrise, but um, it's very, very quick. I don't see, I, the whole hair thing has never been a massive issue for me because I'm a wash and wear sort of hair sort of girl because curly hair, the less you do to it, the better, really. I don't even dry it. And then I became a freelance writer (laughs) and I don't actually most days have to leave the house at all in any meaningful way. Like I don't have to present in a business way like 99% of my time. So it's like the last thing I ever think about would be the hair thing. But I can yep. see how it could be a massive part of your day. Yep, absolutely, mm. definitely. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that saves me heaps more time now because it takes two minutes with the GHD. Uh, another thing that I think is a really useful tip is don't be available all the time. Yeah, I like this one a lot. Uh, because, you know, when you're just being interrupted and mm. you just you just take phone calls, then you're at the mercy of the people. Your, your, your schedule is at the mercy of the people who are calling you. So mm. you should be in control of your time. And what this suggests is put your phone on silent, let it go mm-hmm. to voicemail or text or whatever it is, and then just return your phone calls in batches, which I tend yeah. to do in the car. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is one of the reasons I think we talked last week about we were discussing, I don't know what we were talking about, but I was saying that I have all the notifications turned off on my phone and it's for this reason because otherwise you're like jumping up every time there's a ding or whatever yes. or, or yeah. a little number appears on your on your app, you're suddenly there, you know, looking at it and I, it's just, it's just a time suck and I, I find it hard not to be available all the time because it's, you know, I'm, you're kind of looking for distractions. When things are hard, you're looking for distractions. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you're writing something, you kind of, you know, any excuse to get away from it for two minutes in some ways. But um, I find that I get so much more done if I just block out the time and, yep. you know, put aside the hour or whatever it is I'm doing or, you know, write my thousand words or whatever. Um, and I and I try to avoid everything else during that time. And I, it's so much more efficient to actually get the words written. Definitely, definitely. And another one as well is write a to-do list. It might sound obvious for the people who do write to-do lists, Mm. um, but if you don't write to-do lists and you just keep them in your head, and I know people like that, uh, just try it. It will just it, it, it it's just far more efficient. You will get more done. You will actually add more things to your to do list because you will get more done. Mm, for I sure. love my to do list. My yes. personal favorite on this list is if you want to be good at something, do it every day. Oh, and yeah. I think that this is something that I, um, I mean, we talk about it a lot. We talk about the fact that, you know, if you write even just 200 words a day, you get much more efficient at writing 200 words a day. And before you know it, your manuscript is building and building and building all the time. And this comes down to, you know, treating your writing A as a priority, but B, 
not sitting around waiting for the muse, this notion that you have to wait until the creativity is upon you to yeah. actually get any words written. It's, it's like anything. If you start, then it follows. Um, yeah. it, the starting is always the hardest bit. And so if you do it every day, you just get in the habit of starting and getting in the habit of starting means that you will get your words written. Absolutely. And mm. also practical things like, for example, yesterday I wrote this list. I, um, I called it my in case of nuclear war list. Right. <laughs> like, okay. I know there's not going to be a nuclear war anytime soon, but if there was a nuclear war, I um, what well, uh, this was my list, and I've got it in front of me, and uh, I've got stuff like canned tomatoes, canned lots of cans, right? Okay. Paste, tissues, shampoo, toilet paper, kitty litter, like the you know the just the giant things in the supermarket that are so hard to carry to the car, so hard to carry from the car to the house, all that kind of stuff, um, uh-huh. and, and non-perishables, uh-huh. and. The time it took for me to order the list on online, you know, uh-huh. from the supermarket uh-huh. and pay for it and everything was, I reckon, 18 minutes, not over. Okay. 15 right. minutes. And that included yeah. browsing things. But I wrote the list first, so probably 15 minutes. But And, and that's just going to be arriving at my door and taken into my kitchen today, actually. Mm. Uh, in the afternoon, had I gone to the supermarket and mm. bought seven hundred dollars worth of nuclear war supplies, <laughs> that w- would have taken hours. Sorry, did Just, you say seven hundred dollars well, worth of nuclear war supplies? It is in case of a nuclear war. Right, it is in okay. case. Of, well, I bought like. Have you oh, become a survivalist? You, have you got all this <laughs> in a bunker under your house or what? No. <laughs> I like the fact that you put kitty litter on that list. You realise that in a nuclear war you'll probably have to eat the cats, don't you? No, don't you say that. (laughs) I've got one sitting right in front of me right now. Be quiet. I'm I'm ever practical. Sorry. Mm. Okay. You you just keep going with your kitty litter. That's a much better idea. Yeah, like liquid hand wash, pino clean, multi-purpose eucalyptus. Um. (laughs) Yeah, but you're right. Those sorts of things that, you know, and it's also the stuff that you buy every week. You know, and that you can just take off your list entirely. Exactly. And it's it's so already we, arrived and you don't have to think about it anymore. And the reason why I spent $700, I don't have to do this again for months. Yeah. So that saves me so much time. And yeah. whether if I had ordered this weekly even, it would take me 15 minutes every week. But because I ordered yeah. big now, then it's it, that's time that I just right. now have. So 15 minutes of planning has saved you. Hours at the Hours and hours and hours, exactly. There you go. All right. So, and that's, that's lots of writing time if you needed it. Exactly. See? So, so See a lot of people. This? Yes. Now, a lot of people do say that they don't have time to write, so that's why I'm suggesting that you save time and use that time to write. But having said that, you also need a plan. And one of the best things I love about Alison's course, Make Time to Write, is the 30-day writing boot camp. And I know that people are, are emailing us and they're already saying that, because they're probably in the middle of their 30 days now, mm. um, they're already saying that it's so effective and it's just making them write. And the 30-day writing boot camp means, in this, the way Alison has designed it, is that you will have at least 10,000 words at the end of 30 days, which is huge. And, of course, at the end of the 30 days, you might want to have a few days break. You might want to start the 30-day boot camp again. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's an awesome program. 
And if you want to find out more, um, it's in Alison's course, How to Make Time to Write. So just go to writerscentre.com.au slash time. That's writerscentre.com.au slash time. Hmm. So now let's move on to another link that I've got. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is um, you know, sometimes I just love a good typo just to have Yeah, fun. oh, yeah. Got to love it, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, uh, I think I, I think I've mentioned this to you before. Sometimes my partner says, "Oh, you're a bit down. Come on, let's turn on Fox Sports and laugh at the typos." So, <laughs> <laughs> seriously, now you got to get out more, babe. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know but at least my partner understands me. <laughs> <laughs> we both got to get out more. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Okay. Anyway, in Mental Floss, there is a post called 15 Famous Typos in First Editions. Oh, fun. Yeah, and these are kind of like they they make these editions quite rare because Mm -hmm. they obviously fix them in later editions. Mm. But there is, of course, the famous one in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone where Mm. there's – a it, it's and it's, there's a mistake on page fifty three of the first edition in a list of school supplies where one wand because they have mm-hmm. to have one wand is uh-huh. listed at both the beginning and at the end of the mm-hmm. the list. Mm-hmm. So um, actual first editions are worth a lot of money because a lot of, of money, yeah, because of this. Um, and there's. Uh, there's there's something called the Wicked Bible, which is in a 1631 edition of the King James Bible, and it included an accidental new twist on the seventh commandment informing okay. readers, thou shalt commit adultery. Oh, mm. <laughs> that, is, that is naughty. Mm, they forgot the word not. Mm. And according to this, this managed to incense both King Charles I and the Archbishop of Canterbury, understandably, mm. and its publishers were hauled into court and fined £300 mm. oh, and had their go. printing licence revoked. Oh, dear. Yes. Most of the copies were subsequently burned and the book picked up the, you know, the name, the Wicked Bible or the Sinner's Bible, and only about 10 copies remain today. And one was put up for sale by um, an auction house just last year. Oh, how much did they yeah. get for it? I'm not sure. I have to look that up. Probably gazillions. So, yeah, probably gazillions. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, there's a bunch of um, cute little typos in first editions. If you happen to have a first edition, see if your book is on this list and we'll put, of course, all of the links in this week's episode in the show notes, which you mm-hmm. can find at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. Now, I understand that Natasha Lester, who is one of our um, presenters at the Australian Writers' Centre in Perth, has a great post on setting writing goals. Is that right? She has. She's written a post called My Writing Goals for 2017, and she talks about um, about the fact that she, you know, sets what she talks about why she sets writing goals. She she talks about her own writing goals, and she also talks about how to set your how to set your writing goals for the year. Mm. Um, and I found it quite interesting because I think people, you know, sometimes there's this whole thing with New Year's resolutions, you know, where there's this notion that if you set a resolution, you're going to fail. Um, mm. But Natasha talks about the importance of, of a goal because, as she says, if you don't 
know what you want to achieve, then it's a lot harder to achieve it. Like she talks about the fact that goals help to keep her focused um, and she can assess what she's doing, whatever it is that she's doing at the time, in light of whether or not it's contributing to that goal of what she's trying to achieve or not. Um, And if it doesn't, then she thinks about doing less of it. And if it does, then she tries to do more of it. So she talks, as example, you know, about the fact that if she didn't set word count goals for herself and instead just simply sat down and wrote whatever she felt like, whenever she felt like, Mm. then she might not write enough to meet, you know, the the deadlines that she has. And I know that we we received, I think, a a note or an email or something recently about the fact that we talk about word counts a lot, uh, you and I, and... um, and I probably would address that here because I think we talk about word counts a lot because we have been writers for a very, very long time yeah. um, in both, you know, freelance, nonfiction and fiction. And the word counts are very important for actually getting to the end of a project. Yeah. The notion that you you need to have an idea of how many words you need to write because, you know, even if you're writing fiction, um, you know, as opposed to a 1,000 word article for a magazine or whatever, most genres have word counts that you need to aim for. So there's yeah. no point in writing a middle grade fiction story, for example, that is 110,000 words long because yeah. most middle grade fiction stories that are published are some, somewhere between probably the 40 to 60, 60,000 words would be a big one. Um, yeah. So, but you do kind of need to get to that. So there's no point either in writing a middle grade novel that is 20,000 words because it's too short and it's mm. probably more likely to need to be a chapter book at that level, which means that you may need to bring down the age of your protagonist or the complexity of the storyline. or So you do need an idea of, of how many words you're writing uh, to, to, for any particular um, genre or, yeah. or thing that you're writing. Um, for sure. You know, 150,000 words is a very big novel on any level, for any level. Um, you may get away with it with fantasy or historical fiction in some cases. I, I believe Kate Forsyth's new book is is a whopper, is about oh, that long. Oh. Um, but, you know, for the most part, publishers are looking to see that you understand the genre that you're writing. They want to see that you understand the market that you're writing for. Yes. And so if you send in 110,000 words for a, uh, a middle-grade novel, they – they start to think, well, maybe you have no idea. Maybe you've never read a middle grade novel and you don't actually know what you're doing. Because And people always go, oh, but the last Harry Potter book was, you know, massive. Uh, yeah. Yes. And that's not an example for anyone, unfortunately, no. because the <laughs> success of that series by that stage, you know, J.K. Rowling could pretty she much could have do done anything. whatever she wanted. Yeah. So we do talk about word counts, but the other reason we talk about word counts is with relation to this idea of setting goals for yourself, because as, as we've talked about, you know, even setting 200 words a day, um, it means that you're writing every day, means that your manuscript is being built on every day, means that you are progressing through your story. Because if you don't sort of set these ideas or these goals for yourself, it's so easy to walk away from a manuscript and not come back to it for two years. Mm. And this is what happens, I think, to people. Or they think they're too busy or they get too busy and they don't understand that writing a paragraph or two every day begins to build the manuscript for you. And then, you know, once you're making progress – is, is a really great driver of making progress. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know that sounds weird, but the more that you do, the more that you do. And that's, I think, really important. So um, so Natasha talks about that in, in her 
in her post. Um, and she talks about her own writing goals, which include, you know, she wants to sign another publishing contract. She's got a draft to finish. She wants to sell more books. She's running two writing retreats in 2017. So she talks mm. about that. So she, that's her list of goals. Mm. But then she talks about how to set your own writing goals. And I mean, I guess I, I'll throw this to you, Valerie. What, where do you think that, that writers should start with setting their own writing goals? Where should they start? Um, I guess they need to determine, yeah, I guess think long and hard about what they really want and, Mm -hmm. and you need to start, yes, with the big picture, but then you can't leave it at that. Let's say Mm -hmm. you want to write a novel. Well, you can't just say, I want to write a novel this year. You need to, if you actually want it to come to fruition break it down. So if you want to write a novel and you haven't written one word yet, then mm-hmm. you need to timeline out, okay, start with a pre- determine the premise. And even if you don't determine the premise, the the exact premise by that stated deadline, mm-hmm. try and stick with it and try and start writing anyway because what will probably happen is that the premise will fully form and emerge as you start writing. Yeah. So don't sort of procrastinate and think oh but I haven't I can't start writing because I haven't got the full premise um, figured out yet you can still write scenes from what you do have yeah um, and what's important is as you've said you need to determine word counts so if you've decided on a novel then you need to then break it down and decide well I, w- I need to write whatever like 5,000 words per month or however you want to divide it right and and put not only the word count number but the time frame if you are Mm. serious about Mm. achieving it if you're just meandering around you're just writing for fun Mm. then that's totally fine 100 percent right for fun but if you are serious about it you need not only the word count but also the the deadline and i think that for you and i word counts are just part of our DNA because we come from the world of feature writing where when we're being briefed on a story our very first question is how many words yeah, it's that's exactly one right. Of our very first questions. Yeah, because um, you need to because then you know then you know what you're working with in the sense yes. of how much of this you know where how how narrow does my angle need to be to yep. fit into this word count because obviously the fewer words you have the tighter your angle needs to be because yep. you can't cover an entire subject in 500 words so you need to think about exactly what the angle is going to be how it's going to suit the target market, how it's going to suit the publication, um, mm. and then work out the best possible way to get the the crux of that angle into mm. the 500 words that you have, that you've been allocated. The other thing I think is really important to do too, once you've kind of sat down and thought about your your goal and, and, and all of those sorts of things and then you've broken it down is, and this is a question that Natasha brings up, mm. what else do I need to help me achieve that goal? So sometimes it's not just the writing. As she Mm. says, it's about, you know, maybe you need to ask someone to look after the kids for a couple of hours on a Sunday so that you can write. Maybe you need, if you're struggling with that premise or that plot, maybe you need to go to a course that will Mm. help you with the character development or plotting or redrafting or whatever it is that you need to know more about. Because if you're struggling with getting that plot right, struggling along on your own, you may never get there. But you could Mm. go and do a five or six week course or a weekend course or whatever and get all the tools that you need to jump that hurdle. And if that hurdle is what's stopping you, Mm. yeah, then, you know, like give yourself the best possible chance. So if there's something that you're struggling with, don't just continue to struggle with it. Think about how can I possibly 
fast track this? What can I do? Who can I talk to? Where can I find this information that I need? Um, You know, maybe it's finding a writing group that you can go and get regular support from, someone who's expecting you to turn up with 2,000 words a month or whatever it is that you're going to do. Um, So just, yeah, look at some of the different methods that are out there to help you achieve your goal because, you know, I know writing is a solitary thing, but there's a lot of support and we need support. We get support Absolutely. from each other. We get support from teachers, from mentors, from all different places. Join an association. You know, get a newsletter. You'd be amazing. How it, like I, I remember when I joined the Romance Writers Association all those years ago, one of the most valuable things about it for me was that I got a newsletter every month and that newsletter reminded me mm. – to write something. It reminded me, it kind of kickstarted me, it motivated me to get on with my writing because I remembered that that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> that was yes. the job. You know? So think about those sorts of things when you're setting your own writing goals. Yes. And maybe you need to save time from going to the supermarket by writing your own in case of nuclear war list. Mm, that's what you need. You need to get that kitty litter delivered. <laughs> yes. That's what you need. That's awesome. That's such a great post from Natasha. I love it. Mm. Yes. All right. Let us now move on to our giveaway for this week. Uh, Our giveaway is The Girl on the Train book and DVD. We do have five packs ready and waiting for some winners. And if you want to enter, I I know I don't even need to explain The Girl on the Train, um, the book and the DVD, because you have to have been living on another planet to have not heard about it or know about it. But, you know, huge hit last year, book movie now dvd in in summary hmm. and uh entries op- um sorry it's uh, entries are open and they close on the 23rd of january so get your entries in at writerscenter.com.au slash win and if you're listening to this episode in the future don't worry there'll be another giveaway here or another competition that you can enter but uh yeah go to writerscenter.com.au slash win This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our course, Inside Publishing, gives you a peek inside the complex world of publishing. Created by author of more than 30 books, Pamela Freeman, who also writes as Pamela Hart, the course gives you a step-by-step guide on everything you need to know about the publishing process and how this should affect your writing, pitching and submissions. It's essential information if you want to navigate the publishing world and get the best chance for your book success. You'll learn about the copyright issues that will affect you, what territories you need to negotiate for, and how ebooks and audiobooks will impact your income. You'll also discover whether indie publishing or traditional publishing is better for your goals. With our on-demand courses, you can learn in your own time with 12 months access to all course materials. Find out more at writerscentercomau slash publishing. All right, are we ready for our word of the week, Al? I am so ready after last week's one. I'm totally ready. I got such a tepid response from you from last week that I've decided to go more mainstream. <laughs> and I don't I don't think you should let me influence your word of the week. I feel like it just needs to come from your heart every time, yes, Valerie. It's a bit and if fart is fart is where your heart is, well that's which <laughs> that's what we're doing. However, <laughs> Yes, this word, this week's word of the week is not fart. It is fascinate, which is oh. a word we all uh, use 
I'm yes. sure. We and um, but did you know that the word fascinate actually comes from the Latin fascinatio? Fascinatio. Mm-hmm. I know some people will say it's fascinatio or fascinatio, but mm-hmm. certainly when I learnt Latin. We were taught to pronounce it fascinatio. And it actually means casting a spell, which is why, of course, when we use the word fascinate and we're actually really fascinated by someone, um, it's as if they have us in their thrall or as if they've cast a spell over us. So there you go. Very interesting. So does that mean that all those ladies that wear fascinators to their (laughs) faces are casting a spell? Actually, I don't know why they're called fascinators. I should go find out. Maybe you can do that for next week's exciting word of the week. Maybe. Or maybe I'll just go back to fart. Mm. All right. Bum. Anyway. I think you should do bum next week, please. <laughs> let's continue with the Andy Griffiths theme and do bum. All right. No problem. Anyway. Let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Okay. Now, when I saw this book, I thought, oh, my goodness, intriguing. Okay. Um, it is on the blue train and the tagline says, uh, for 11 days in 1926, Agatha Christie disappeared. This mm. is her story. Now, many people will know that that actually happened. Agatha Christie did, in fact, disappear, and no one knows what she did during that time. And she never said either. <laughs> So this book mixed fact and fantasy and it's basically Christelle Thornell's um, imagination or imagining of of what happened on those 11 days. So I haven't hadn't really read a book like this before where it's a bit of fact and a bit of fiction. I kind of like to know whether mm. I'm reading fact or fiction, and it stresses me out a little bit when it's like oh, this. Oh, dear. But I stresses thought, you. I know. Yeah, it stresses mm-hmm. me. But I thought I'd give it a go, and I wasn't disappointed. So okay. I thought we have to talk to Christelle, and she was the co-winner of the Vogel, the Vogel Award for Australian Literature, in 2009, um, and then her book was published the next year. And this book, On the Blue Train, is her second novel. So mm. let's talk to Christelle. Thanks so much for joining us today, Crystal. Thank you for having me. Now, On the Blue Train, uh, for those listeners who haven't yet picked up this book, which they should, um, can you tell us what it's about in your own words? Yes. Well, it imagines the 11 days in 1926 during which Agatha Christie at the age of 36 disappeared from the countryside near she, where she was living outside of London, about 30 miles outside of London, and went to stay in a spa town in the north of England under the pseudonym Theresa Neal. It was quite a mysterious episode in the writer's life, and the novel reimagines it. I wanted to see if I could create, in a way, an internal landscape to match that very unusual psychological situation. Yes, very unusual. But were you a Agatha Christie, you know, fan from way back, or how did this form? It's quite yeah, a specific I wasn't particularly. Thing. I'd seen adaptations on TV as a child, and I'd read the odd novel here and there, but I hadn't read a lot of her. So I came, I came to her work actually more through this story. When I heard this story, I was captivated. Hmm. 
And I began to read everything I could find about her. I read biographies. I read her autobiography and slowly found my way into the research that then came to the novels via that interest. So when you say that you, you know, discovered this story and you were captivated, was it at that point that you thought, this is going to be my next book? Or did you just start researching it because you were interested in this strange disappearance? I think I did, strangely enough, think of it as being fictional somehow almost immediately. It's hard to say why I, I knew that. I remember I was folding laundry. I was listening to the radio mm-hmm. and I heard the story mentioned on the radio and I just came in. I was in the next room sort of with the laundry rack and I came in to be closer to the radio and just sat on the floor and thought, oh, that's interesting. And I could see it was very visual to me very quickly, almost cinematic. I could see the hotel. I could see the time. I could see her arriving in a very disoriented sort of state at the hotel. So mm. I think it, it, it took off in my imagination quite quickly as fiction, funnily enough. So apart from researching, you know, through the internet and just what was easily available, what other mm. kind of research did you do? Because you know, it's set, you, you live in upstate New York, you're from That's Sydney, right. you don't live yes. in a spa town in, no, um, in England. So, so what, uh, yeah, what kind of research did you have to do to make this authentic? Yeah, well, there were several stages. I, after I read the biographies and the autobiography and the early novels, I took my first research trip to the UK. I took a couple actually. There I looked at old newspapers covering the disappearance. Mm. I spent a week with the archive of her professional papers at the University of Exeter. But I particularly focused on spending time in the places that were important to her to her development and to the story. Capturing a sense of place is always really, really central to how I work. So I spent time in Torquay where she grew up. I walked the streets of the town around where her house used to be, the beaches. I stayed in the Grand Hotel where she spent her wedding night in 1914. I spent time in Newlands Corner, the area uh, from which she disappeared near the Surrey Berkshire border and walked around those fields and thought about how she might have walked on the night that she disappeared, walked to the train as she would have done. I went to Harrogate, so I went to the spa town where she spent those 11 days. And I stayed in exactly the same hotel where she stayed for exactly the same amount of uh, time. The hotel fortunately still exists, yes. So that was incredible. And I really tried to, I, I was alone there, and I really just tried to enter the character that way. I felt quite possessed really yes. when I was staying there and I walked around the, the parks and I went to even to the royal baths and the Russian vapor room and tried to sort of recreate the sorts of days that she might have lived. Did you, when you said you were sort of possessed a bit, it sounds a little bit freaky, um, were, you, were you being her as you did all of this? To some extent I think so, um, not in a particularly theatrical kind of way in an internal way but yes I think I do really need to inhabit characters or have them inhabit me it's quite an intimate sort of process for me mm. that, that seems to be the way that I need to work I have to really feel that I'm inside someone's mind 
Wow. So can you give us some idea of some timeframes, like when you first, like, you know, heard of the story and started researching it, thinking this might be uh, a novel, and then the timeframe for how when you went to spend your 11 days there and then how mm. long it took to write the first draft and so on, just to give us some idea of what kind of time period this took in your sure. life. So I think when I first heard the story, I was still working on my first novel. So at that point, it, it just, the idea took root, but it wasn't really able to to get very far. It, it was there in my mind, cooking somehow, and I'd written down some little scraps of, of voice and, and, and a few, I had notes from that time, but I didn't come back to work on it seriously for maybe another year. Mm-hmm. After then, you finished the first novel? Uh, no, after I finished the first novel, probably once I'd finished with this, the distractions of, of the book coming out, I probably got down to work fairly quickly. So that mm-hmm. was, um, I, I always like to be right in, in the midst of a novel. So I, I started work on that as soon as I could once I'd finished with the first book. Right. So, so the research, the first stage of research might have taken six months say before I before the first trip to the UK which is when I started writing more seriously and being more in a fictional space Mm. so I often find it quite tricky balancing research with actual writing I tend to need to do the research then put it aside in order to write right maybe go back and check facts do a certain amount of cross-checking but but different parts of my brain seem to work on those two different things Sure. So your first novel was published in 2010. So it, presumably right. it was shortly after that you started working on this. So yes. maybe it was 2011 when you went on your trip? You That's think? right. That, that okay. sounds right. The first so one, yes. When you did your research then, speaking of that research and the fact that you feel that you need to kind of do it first, mm-hmm. do you... How, what form does that research take just on a practical level so that other mm. writers can understand like do you yeah. do you store it all in word or do you you know have a mm. pinterest board how do you actually collate notebooks, everything you need yeah notebooks i i tend to use a lot because i'm out walking and i i like to be able to work by hand i do have files on my computer but notebooks mainly I also take photographs which I look at Mm. quite a bit later and sometimes even sketch a little bit Mm. (laughs) Um, I'm not much of a drawer but I do do that Mm. and so the early stages are fairly chaotic and then I start sort of bringing things into a draft yeah yeah but I, 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 I rewrite a lot I should say that the process so so I maybe rewrote three three times and I also need to put novels aside and let yep. them sit and come back to them um this one also took quite a bit of time because I would put it aside and work on another novel just to give my mind a bit of a rest and then come yeah. back and look again so if your trip was then 2011 did you start if and you needed to kind of have a little put that away and let it brew did That's you right. start your first draft say in 2012 I would say so, yes. Right. I'm just, yes. yeah, that's, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I just want to give people an idea of the gestation period of, mm-hmm. you know, something like this. And, and after you, how long would it 
when you did your first draft, say you've, you're like, I'm ready, I'm going to do my first draft. Is it then a case of this is my full-time thing while I'm writing my first draft? Or did you have to fit it in other obligations and the responsibilities? At that point, so I just, I'd finished a PhD and the first novel had been published. And from then I basically wrote full-time. I did do some other bits of writing. I did some reviews and other, other things that distracted me and took me out of the novel and I had to sort of go and do some publicity in Canada for the first book that came out in Canada. And so there were things that took me away from the writing, but I was quite focused for large slabs of time just and just on, yeah. And, and so when you did that, when you were in the your focused period, did you have a, um, firstly, how long was that period, like for your first draft? And also, did you have any set goals like I'm going to write a thousand words every day or uh, or anything like that uh it may have it probably took about a year to write the first draft with 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 quite um with periods of rewriting yeah it's always very hard to 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 map that in retrospect um but I didn't think so much about how much material to get out a day early on as as I got going I picked up speed and and then I would often sort of throw down a whole messy chapter in a day but then go back and really um obsessively rewrite so it's very hard for me to measure how much Mm. I've done each day because some days I might seem to get a lot down but then I'll spend maybe a week cleaning up and and Mm. polishing that and are you the sort of writer, did you plot what was going to happen, you know, from the beginning or did you kind of just see what was going to happen as you started writing? More the, more the latter. I'm always very guided by voice and mm. a sort of an intuitive sense of rhythm. With this I knew that I had 11 days to work within so there was mm. a kind of a, a minimal structure, if you like. It felt mm. a bit like a a bit like a film or like a play to me in some ways. Mm. You know, something sort of circular about it. But I had to work within the facts. So with this novel, I tried to keep the facts as they're known as much Mm. as possible. I didn't, I almost didn't change anything. Or if I changed things, they were very subtle. There were Mm. subtle changes that didn't seem to alter um, the meaning very much. But I invented within the gaps, within the gaps. And that I think that evolved as, as it was happening. I invented a character completely. I invented Harry, an Australian mm. character, for example. Mm. And he just sort of developed. He, he, he wrote himself to some extent. Mm-hmm. When you're writing something like this, a reimagining of something that's kind of a fictionalised account of a factual situation, uh, mm. what do you need to consider to be responsible, in a sense, to mm-hmm. the, the to facts? Mm. It's a really interesting question. I thought about it a lot because I had a similar had similar questions to consider for my first novel, which was inspired by the Australian landscape painter Clarice Beckett and her art. And with that novel, I really wanted to be quite loose in the way I worked with biographical fact. I wanted to do something 
stylistically that in a way mirrored what she had done as a painter because she was very she focused on light and shade rather than detail there was something very impressionistic about the way that she worked and I wanted to do something equivalent to that in my fiction Mm. with this book I really wanted to just imagine within the facts that I had because they were so compelling and in a way quite spare anyway they gave me a lot of freedom um within that within that 11 day period mm. i had to yeah go on i had to encourage myself to feel free i guess to invent yeah and to really see it as a novel to see it as a blending of fact and 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 fantasy and fiction i, I guess for me novels are always that but i had to remind myself that that was the case sometimes with this yeah, I would find that so hard. Did you have mm. any particular techniques or anything to that you did to enable you to do that? Mm. It's a good question. I don't know. I suppose just really trying to inhabit the character and try to imagine how I would have felt in that situation. Mm. So to come at it through in a, in quite a um, in that via that very intuitive sort of route Mm-mm. and try to have tr- try to trust that process. Let that be my guide. Mm. Now, your first novel, um, Night Street, was the co-winner of The Vogel and um, uh, it was released in 2010, as I mentioned. Did you always want to be a writer from like when you were little or did you discover that later? You did? No, I absolutely (laughs) did, yeah, always. (laughs) I also sort of fancied the idea of being a detective for a while. But um, I always wanted to write, always. And I always wrote little scraps of things and thought I was writing stories or novels. So that is very much something I've always wanted to do and I can't remember not wanting to do. Wow. Do you remember when you wrote your first novel, whether or not it was published, you know what I mean, like your first episode, a long thing? I remember something quite long that I did in primary school, maybe in <laughs> third grade. <laughs> which Are you had serious? Some, yeah, which had some mystery elements, but I don't think it had much much going for it, really. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What did the Vogel do for you? Hmm. I guess it, it was encouraging. I mean, I felt enormously lucky. And, but it was very surreal. I, I, I had sent the manuscript to the competition really just sort of thinking that there was no chance that, that the manuscript would be chosen. So it was a huge shock. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it brought, it brought publication with it. So, so it changed how I, how I wrote and it changed my writing life in that sense in a radical way. So it created mm-hmm. a relationship with, with Alan and Unwin and it brought the book into the world. So it did. It was. It did really change my situation a great yeah. deal. What do you do? What do you juggle writing with now? Do you write full time now? Do you do other things? What What is it that you do there in upstate New York? <laughs> at the moment, yeah. At the moment, I am writing full time. I'm trying to write the next novel as, as fast as I can. Um, in the past, I've I've taught languages and yoga and done various bits and pieces but at the moment since the PhD actually I've tried to focus on writing full-time which feels like an incredible mad luxury. (laughs) So you mentioned that you kind of like to have a couple of novels going at once so what other novel did you have going while you were writing on the blue train? 
So the one that I'm working on now, that, that's the one that I'm still working on now. It's set more or less in the present day, although there's a section of it that takes place in the early 90s. And it's set mainly in Australia, in New South Wales, also a little bit in the US and in Italy. Mm. And it looks, there are five friends at the centre of the book and it explores the complicated connections the friendships, the romantic longings between these five people over quite a long period of time. It explores expatriate life a little bit and nostalgia. Nostalgia is something I'm really interested in, mm. how we how we dream of places and remember them. Um, and all, all of the characters are very marked, if you like, by nostalgia. Their lives are shaped by that. But it's difficult to describe. <laughs> sure. So if you're doing something like that, you've got f- five friends, as you said, do you um, fully fledge out their characters before you start writing and have, you know, dossiers on each of them of what they look like, mm-hmm. what they like, what they don't like, what they're into? How do you create them? This time I pretty much have, Yes. And I have a lot of de- a lot of detailed notes about their, their backstories, about their childhoods. I do know exactly what they look like. They're quite they're quite vivid to me. A, a lot of the the detail of their lives comes from things I remember from childhood. So there's this real been a real process of reconstruction for me in that mm. remembering things, even remembering down to really fine detail, like remembering types of you know, chocolate bars and and, and things like mm. that. So I've really thought a lot about their, the material world that they, they've come out, out of, mm. more mm. than I've done before, I think. Why is that? Because why mm. is that? I don't know. Maybe because they're from a time that, that I remember very well. Maybe that you were in. Able to, yeah, yeah, possibly for that reason. Mm. Now you say that you kind of have this, luxury of writing full time do you have structure to your day like can you take us through whether you have some kind of writing routine like you know you do this in the morning and then you do this sure yeah (laughs) that's really important to me actually I have to be incredibly strict with myself Mm. I work I try to work six days a week if I have a deadline sometimes I'll even work on Sunday but I try not to I if possible, I sit down at my desk right after breakfast. That's That w- works best for me. And if I sit down with a cup of tea or coffee, then it's a bit like a treat. I sort of look forward to that. Uh-huh. And I like to begin that way because I've sort of begun working when I'm still a little bit, not, not entirely awake, and I've e- I find <laughs> that I've eased myself into it before I quite realise what I'm doing. Which part so, is the treat, the writing or the tea? The caffeine. Oh, <laughs> a okay. Bit a bit of both. They work off each other. Okay. Uh-huh. But that sort of feels like a nice, a nice ritual to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I always start by going back to a part of the scene, uh, to a scene, say, where things seem to be flowing. Mm-hmm. So I come in where I had a sense of, at a point in the novel where I had a sense of movement so I can step into a flow, if you like, and then I mm. go forward from there, mm. if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. That, 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 that really helps me. And so then I'll do, I try to get a couple of solid hours done before major distractions enter, before I will 
think about email too much or or research or other things that I have to do. Mm. The other thing that's really important to me is, well, two things I might mention actually. One is that I have repetitive strain injury from computer Mm. use. Mm. So I find that what works well there for me is to do 25-minute computer sessions. Right. So I'll do 25 minutes and then I'll get up and walk around. I might put the kettle on or I might do some stretching or a bit of just get the blood flowing, go and look at the sky or something and come back to my desk. Mm. And that actually I find is really good. When I first started having to do that, when I had some pain in my hands, I thought, oh, no, this is going to really break my rhythm and Mm. my concentration but I've learned to work that way now and actually like it I find that it sort of wakes me up and then when I am sitting at the computer in a session I feel really focused for those 25 minutes Mm. so I quite I quite like working working in that way and then so I'll also do something like have a swim or a walk Mm -hmm. later on and that's also really important to me I think just to sort of stay stay healthy and also to keep my mind healthy I often mm. do useful thinking about the work when I'm swimming. Mm. Now, you said that um, you sometimes you might write a whole slab and then you might spend the next few days rewriting it. And yeah. so there are a lot of people who often say don't rewrite as you go along, you know, just get it all out. Do mm. you find that that works for you or do you find it sometimes holds you back because you're being distracted by the rewriting instead of keeping the story going yeah um sometimes I think it depends sometimes I really like to feel that I'm creating something quite solid as I go Mm -hmm. I really pay a lot of attention to the language and and can do a lot of fine editing over and over and over again without being able to move very far forward sometimes that can feel a little bit frustrating and you can feel that you don't have the momentum that you'd like mm. but I, I sort of try to balance the two things so I'll do I'll rewrite certain sections but I'll try to keep running forward also with other bits right if that if, if, what, if that's clear so what I'll do you try mean? to I'll try to there might be some sections that I come back to and and edit almost as if they were poems just over and over and over again until they really get to where I want them to be mm-hmm. but at the same time say on the same day I might also be working on a much looser section of a chapter where something right. is quite quite chaotic and all over the place but I'm producing material quite quickly so I try to do both things right right and so back to on the blue train what was the hardest thing about that process if you take the writing and the research and whatever just producing Mm. this book what was the hardest thing about it the most challenging thing maybe balancing those two things having to be in two parts of um, my mind like that in parallel and and letting myself sort of forget about one while I was in the other Mm. That was probably the one of the main challenges, I would say. Mm. What was the most rewarding thing? Mm. I loved the travel, I think. <laughs> that really helped me. Yeah, I did. I, it re- but it really helped me to find the voice somehow, just being in those landscapes. Yeah. Uh, I, love, just... I love sort of connecting deeply with, with a voice while I'm in a place that, 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 that seems to um, be helping to shape that voice. Yes, I just love the idea that you spent 11 days at that place and you, you know, did all of the things that 
well that she may have done or that went to the places that were important to her. I just think that that's awesome. Are you doing a similar thing with your current novel that you're working on? Not yet. I might down the track. At the moment, because I'm a lot of it's taking place in, in Australia, I'm having to do that via memory. Mm. But once I have a really, once I have a more solid draft, I think I'll then go and spend time in the places and, and sort of compare the landscapes I've created via memory with the real ones. Yeah. And I'll do the same with the Italian section. The Italian section will be set in Trieste. Oh, that'll be tough. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, to make some sacrifices. Yes, definitely. <laughs> what do you find most um, rewarding about writing? And, and when you're writing, what's the feeling as in do you feel liberated? Do you feel like it's waiting through concrete? Do you feel what, – what's it – can you describe it? It's quite addictive for me, I think. I feel restless and a bit – unanchored when I'm not doing it so I have a real compulsion to be to be doing it which is not to say that it's always easy to be doing it or or pleasurable I'm often you know there there are always lots of challenges but I feel much better when I'm in in the flow of writing when I'm in the process when I have a book sort of on the on the go there's something Mm. that really brings me back every day to wanting to be in that space Mm. And what's the most rewarding thing about writing? Not specifically this book, just the writing process. Just in general. Mm. I think it makes you think very deeply about things. When you have to describe something in a way that will make it feel vivid to a reader or make it ring true, you Mm -hmm. have to go very deeply inside the actual experience and analyse for yourself the components, the subjective components of an experience. Mm. So you, 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 you're not, you're, you're having to be quite very, very mindful, very awake to sensation, to, to all the subtleties of, of thought and feeling, I think, in order to be able to portray them in a way that, that has some life to it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. And, um, Finally, what is your advice to aspiring writers who are listening to this and hope to be in a position like you one day where they all they too can write full time and have their novels published? So how many how many pieces of advice? Just a few? <laughs> well, maybe pick your top three. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say finding a routine that works for you is really is really central. Something mm-hmm. that is doable, not don't set yourself up to, to feel like you're not achieving your goal. So figure out something that you, ca- you can actually achieve, an amount of time at a certain time of day when you know you'll be able to actually get, get that done. Mm. And try to have it balance self-discipline. So there needs to be a sense of a reliable structure that, you can, that will support you and that will sort of keep you in place and, and make sure that you get something done. But you also need to enjoy it as much as possible I think otherwise you won't stay with it yeah and the processes are so long and you need so much patience that you'll have to have something that both supports you and helps you to discipline yourself and will will not feel like suffering (laughs) so I'd say that the routine Mm. secondly and I'm sure everyone says this read stay surrounded by books that inspire you Mm. but I might extend that I might say books and also other forms of 
of art that speak to your imagination. So perhaps movies, perhaps music, visual art, whatever stimulates you and, and feeds your creative imagination. And maybe other experiences too, perhaps swimming or bushwalking or, or whatever seems to help you to think creatively and support your creative thought. So make sure you stay in, inspired in a sort of a broad way. And lastly, I might just say, have notebooks with you, have them, have them around, have them in your bag, in your coat pocket, maybe on the kitchen counter. Kitchen counter is important for me, mm-hmm. maybe beside your bed, beside your desk. And whenever you have a scrap of dialogue, an idea, an odd word or an image or anything that, that comes to you that you think you might be able to use at some point, do jot it down. And that will help you to feel that you're sort of in the flow of, of, of a creative process. Even if you're not really at your desk mm-hmm. working in an obvious way, you will be sort of visiting that creative room in your mind and will help you to feel connected to the process just to have those notebooks around even when you're not using them. Mm, I love it. That's great advice. So, and, and on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Crystal. It's been really lovely. Thank you. Great interview, Val. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. You know, it's just, it's good to talk to. And one of the great things about our job is that we get to talk to so many different and interesting people. Mm-hmm. Really? it's I love it. Um, all right. So let's move on to um, now being the start of 2017 still. I think, I just think January is that time where you just get everything into place, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah? And I think one of the things that is useful to get into place, and I know you've spoken to me about this before, is kind of and – and I never really thought about it as a specific activity um, – is that we should do an audit of our social media in terms of what we're putting out there in the world as as writers, as, as authors, mm. especially mm. if we're trying to build our own author platform. Mm. What are your suggestions on that? Well, I just think this is a great time of year and this is something that I like to do, you know, in January when things aren't as busy and I've got a bit of time to think about what I – because, you know, we talked about setting writing goals um, mm. earlier, but this is this is about setting yourself up for the year ahead and, and part of your writing goal it needs to be, you know, building that profile um, to help you, you know, make connections, create a community, you know, eventually sell more books down the line if, if that's, you know, where we're heading. So I, what I think is, is important, I think, is that sometimes – we can get very caught up with just doing what we're doing so mm. we we sort of have mm. our our things set up and we and we just sort of, it's like oh I need to and and social media is a hungry beast as we've talked about blogging is a hungry beast we tend to just kind of like oh I need to write a blog post I've got to get something up there I need to put something on Instagram whatever whatever it is that we're doing yeah. um so I think this is a great time of year to actually look at what you've done in the last 12 months and work out what's working for you, like what's really working for you. Um, and one way to do this, so there's a couple of different ways you can do this. Um, so most of the platforms have insights, like Pinterest has insights, Facebook mm. has insights, uh, Twitter, not so much, no. Um, but 
so Facebook in particular, I, I really like Facebook as a as a platform because of this in some ways, is that if you have a look at your Facebook insights, you can see exactly what posts you're putting up there that people are engaging with. You can see mm. what's working for you. You can see the most popular posts. You can see the posts that make people unfollow you, like quite obviously. You mm. can see the stuff that people are finding useful. You can see the stuff that really hits a chord. And so you can see what you're wasting your time with and what you're not. Um, and yes. you obviously need a great mix of things on a Facebook page. Like you, you can't just be doing the same thing over and over again. But, you know, there's no reason why you can't slant your Facebook page towards things that are actually working for you because otherwise why waste your time? Same with Instagram. And the other thing is to have a look at with your blog, if you're doing an author blog or website, have a look at Google Analytics. So WordPress, mm. um, if you've got a WordPress site or you've got some kind of uh, social like stats calendar like Jetpack or something on your website, it will tell you, you know, where your traffic's coming from, how many hits you're getting, that kind of stuff. Um, and you can have a look at that on a daily basis. And it's worth having a look at that just to see what's sort of working and what's not. But mm. Google Analytics will give you a really solid overview of where your readership is coming from, what posts are resonating with them, which posts are coming up regularly in searches, um, that sort of stuff. So, again, it's a matter of looking at what's working for you as an author blogger or, you know, on your author website, um, where you're getting traffic from, what times of year are the most busy for you, all of that sort of stuff. All of that information is available to you Mm. and I think it's worth taking some time when things are a bit quieter to actually look at it analyze it and I mean you know it's numbers data whatever and most authors are not fans of that but this is pretty simple like even I can do it and it's all laid out in front of you (laughs) in graphs and there's there's bar charts and all sorts going on um so it's this pretty simple way to just get an idea of the kinds of posts that are resonating with your particular readership and it just gives you an opportunity to think about how you can do more of that kind of stuff in 2017. Yeah, absolutely. And for Twitter, they don't have insights, but they've got analytics. And um, with Twitter, with analytics in Twitter, not only do they tell you like the number of enga- engagements, so they by month by month, it can tell you your top tweet, how many impressions it got, but also the one that was the most engaged. And then interestingly, also who your top follower is, meaning uh, yeah. your follower with the biggest kind of following. Yeah. <laughs> and the other interesting part I've just clicked on actually is that it will give you some idea of your follower demographic. So when I look at mine, 60% are female and 40% are male and mm. um, it will, I don't even know how it does this, um, but it will break them down by income, their household income categories. Mm. So 17% of my followers are um, earn $150,000 to $174,999,000. Wow. <laughs> um, 17% in another category, 17%, you know, and 14% in another category. So it's interesting how they break it down. I don't know how accurate that could possibly be that mm. they would know household income categories, but presumably they've got an algorithm or some kind of, you know, data to base that on. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, really, really interesting when you delve into it. Yeah, now that um, you say that, I I did actually, because I had that mental blank there with Twitter's analytics, but it's actually quite, it's good. It's actually really good. Definitely worth having a look at so that you get mm. an idea of, of what kind of posts are going to best suit your your people. Yes, and it, it will also give you an age demographic. 
So the people who follow me, uh, there's 37% from 25 to 34 years old, 38% from 35 to 44, and 17% from 45 to 54. Interesting. Mm. Hmm. So have a look. You never know what you'll find and you can potentially tailor your – uh, posts accordingly. So, yeah, of course, so. this and other really awesome platform building tips, well, author platform building tips, can be found in Alison's course, How to Build Your Author Platform, which I know lots of people are following um, and they're just going really, really well in terms of building their own author platforms. So you can find out more at writerscenter.com.au slash platform. That's writerscenter.com.au slash platform. All right, so... We're almost at the end of this week's episode, Al. What will you be doing in the coming, you know, week until we chat again? I'll be hanging out in my pyjamas, <laughs> what, what will you be doing? Um, I find January is a great month to catch up with the people that you still haven't caught up with from last year because the silly season went crazy. Mm. So I will be doing bit of catching up with people, which I'm really looking forward to because it's always such a pleasant time, you know, summer in mm. mm. I'm saying that I am, I am actually, I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious. I am actually going to be sort of, you know, catching up with people and I'm taking the boys over to Canberra to go to an exhibition and we do. Oh, I, I, what I exhibition? The British Museum's 100 Objects. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So we, yeah. So you know, I I don't actually just you know make my children wear their pajamas and do nothing all holidays. That would be, <laughs> that would make me tragic. No, we do we do get out. We are going to do some things. So yeah, I do. Yeah, okay. Like, Canberra is oh, definitely right. worth a visit, isn't it? It's surprisingly got some good things. Oh, I shouldn't have said surprisingly, but it's got no, some really good. You things. shouldn't have said. I love Canberra. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know what this says about me, but I love it. We we often take the boys over there because it's um a lot easier for us to get to than Sydney. Yeah, and the we. With the museums and things, there's there's always a great, you know, at least once or twice a year, there's a terrific exhibition that we take them to and we go and, you know, we ride our bikes around the lakes and do all oh, that sort of fun. stuff. And yeah, it's really fun. It's really good. I, you know. Good. Yeah, I rediscovered I like- Canberra recently because I went to visit one of our presenters, who's um, Sue White, and um, it was like, wow, Canberra's pretty cool. I'm going to come back. Yeah, well, you know, and it's, I don't understand why it has such a bad rap. I, all you Canberra people, I think it's great. I love yes. you. Yes. yes. Awesome place. Awesome place. Do give us a shout out if you're from Canberra. Yeah, all right. Do. Where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val? Awesome. You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and on Instagram and just search for Valerie Koo on Facebook and I'm the one in Sydney and feel free to connect with me there. Anyway, it's been great to bring you this week's episode and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscenter.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.